Well, Father, we do humble our hearts now and bow our heads before you, grateful for times like these together where we can worship and sing and pray. We can be updated on your work around the world and what your people are doing in your service. Thank you for our Bibles as we open them now. Bless our brother David as he opens the word. Father, may we know the grace of our Lord Jesus in every way. Thank you for the grace that, through which we receive salvation and that same grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly pleasures and to live self-controlled and upright lives in this present age. Father, we count upon your grace. We need it. And Lord, as we listen to your word, through your grace, teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray now. Amen. I ask you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, and as you're doing that, I just want to say what a great honor it is for me to be here. Uh, Pastor Van is a great teacher of the Word, and I appreciate his confidence in me as he uh, allows me to come and open up God's Word and some of the things uh, God is sharing or teaching me that I want to share with you. And so, um, John 13 is a passage in scripture that I love very much. I've heard many times. I've heard lots of people preach on it. I know you probably have as well. And so I want you to do something this morning. Um, Just for a moment, I'm going to ask for maybe the next five seconds, if you would just pray to God and ask him to speak to you. Say this prayer, Lord, speak to me. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say, God, speak to me. And the reason I do that is because it is so often that we come to Scripture and we try and learn things about God. Even this passage, the Lord Jesus will tell us, is a passage about an example that he is setting for us. And sometimes when we do that, it is for information that we come to the text to see the example and to learn things about God. But this is a time when we are asking God to speak to each of our hearts. Lord, speak to me and allow me to be changed by what I hear in this passage. So it's not for the person sitting next to you. It's not for the person across the room. It is for you. And God is speaking to your heart this morning if you will let him, if you are sincere as you pray, and if your heart is drawn to him. So I ask you to look at this passage. I'm going to read um, John chapter one, uh, 13, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask you to look at it as if you have never read this passage before. Now, I know it's one that's taught often in a Bible-believing church. It's one that we emphasize and um, look to as an example for us to follow. But I would like you to look at this passage as if it's the first time that you are hearing it. And I'll explain why a little bit later. John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash 
his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. May God begin now applying his word to our lives and hearts. To give a little background for this text, I want to say first of all that I believe it's a text for two groups of people. The first group of people is those of us who have difficulty imagining that Jesus really loves us. We know what we're like, and when we look in the mirror and we see the person that is there, we realize we are sinners. Whatever sin it is or whatever sins we have committed, we look and we cannot begin to imagine that the God of this universe, who is justice personified, can love the person that we are because we are sinful. We know our frame. We are like the Apostle Paul. We say we're the chief of sinners. We are understanding who we are. And no matter what it is, what sin that comes to mind when we say that, what label we would put on it, we have difficulty imagining that Jesus' love is really what Christians say it is. That's the first group of people the people that have a difficult time accepting Jesus' love. And the second group of people that I believe this passage is for is for those of us who don't have a difficult time accepting it. In other words, the passage is for everybody. There's a place in this passage that speaks specifically to those of us who find it difficult to imagine Jesus loves us and a place in this passage that speaks very clearly to what we do, what we should do, when we understand that immense love and grace of God through Jesus Christ in our lives. And so with that, let's dig in a little bit to the background of the text. Chapter 13 and verse 1, first of all, tells us why Jesus does what he is going to do. First of all, it explains that he knows his time is coming to an end that he has lived out his earthly life and that he understands that the moment has come for his earthly journey to be finished and for him to return to the Father. And the text tells us very clearly, if you look at the end of verse 1, why Jesus does what he's going to do. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. I'm reading from the New International Version this morning. Are there any other different translations out there? If you're reading from a different version of the Bible, would you just raise your hand? Let me see. Okay, different versions of the Bible have difficulty translating this one simple Greek word. The word is teleos. And the reason they have difficulty translating is because it can mean several different things. 
Those of you who speak other languages know that sometimes there's not just a single way of using a word in a language, and that's true of this word. It's the word that can mean all the way to the end and be speaking of time. In other words, all the way up till this moment, Jesus is showing them love. It's about time. It could be used that way. And so some translations translate it, Jesus showed them um, the, uh, his love right up to the end or to the finish of his life because it's thinking, and even in the context, that makes sense, that it could be talking about his time here on earth. But, and the translation that I like, or the understanding I like, is this second understanding, and that is that it could be the full extent or the completeness of Jesus' love. And so, yes, it was right up to the end of his ministry, but he is showing completely and perfectly how to love someone. So whether it's time, I believe that's right. Whether it's completeness, I believe that's right as well. As Jesus is now... This passage tells us the reason he's doing what he's doing is to show complete love right up to the end of his ministry. That's Jesus leaving an example for us and doing for us what we need the most. He's coming to show us love. That's why I say this passage is about those of us who expect or can understand Jesus' love and those of us who can't begin to grasp it. This is a passage about love and for us to understand Jesus and how he loved us. So let's dig in a little deeper. Verses 2 through 5 are especially noteworthy in telling us about what love is. Jesus, it says knew that it was his time. His purpose for coming had been fulfilled. It tells us also that Judas had already agreed to betray the Lord Jesus Christ and that this conflict, and every great story has conflict, this conflict was coming to a point in this upper room with Jesus and his disciples. Let me ask you a question. If you were brand new to this story, and if you'd never read it before, and if you were giving advice, what would you tell Jesus to do at that point? What would great leaders in history do at that moment in time? What would a leadership book that you would go out and buy tell you to do when your end is approaching, when you know your time with the group that you're leading is about to be finished, when you know that there's somebody in that group that's about to betray you and turn against you and undermine what you have set out to do, how would you be responding? I bet there's not a book out there that would tell leaders to respond exactly like Jesus did. But here Jesus the Son of God, perfect, completely without sin, shows us, don't forget, how to love at this critical moment. And so what does he do? The text tells us he became like a servant. He took off his outer garments and he wrapped himself in a towel and began going from foot to foot to wash the disciples' feet. 
It is interesting that this wasn't just the job of a servant. This was the job of the lowest of the low, the low person on the ladder, the person who had the least responsibility was the one who was told to wash the feet of those that guests that had come into the home. And so here Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. They don't really have their servants with him. Uh, the meal, if they had servants, I don't even know. Apparently the meal was being served by other people. And Jesus looks around and realizes that the one who's assigned to washing the feet isn't there. And he looks and he sees need. He sees dirty feet. And in love, he begins showing us humility. Keep your finger right here in uh, this passage and just flip over to Philippians chapter 2 for what it means that Jesus does this. Philippians chapter 2 is a phenomenal passage of scripture that tells us about Jesus' pre-human existence and that he is God, fully God. That he didn't consider his deity or his being like God or in the image of God something to be held onto and grasped, but he let go of it so that he could come and be amongst us. Begin reading in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 and pay real good attention to verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you, that was in the, also in the Lord Jesus, as some translations say. Have this spirit, let this attitude, let your life be marked by being like Jesus in what way? In this way, who being in, the very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be held onto, but he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love that passage. I love that Jesus loves us that much, that he would go to the cross. I can't forget that that passage is also telling me that my attitude has to be like Jesus Christ. And here Jesus, naked on the cross, is the perfect example of the one who the scripture tells us served, who humbled himself to become like a servant, to be in our midst. And the other place where we most see that humility of Christ in scripture is back in our passage in John chapter 13, where doing what the lowest of the servant would do, Jesus takes off his garments, puts on a towel, and goes from foot to foot to clean the dirty feet of the disciple. Now here's what I don't want you to miss when you look at John chapter 13. I don't want you to miss that there were 24 feet that Jesus washed. Think about that. Not the enormity of the task. But think about whose feet he was washing. He washes Judas' feet. The one who was going to betray him. And he knew it. It says so right there in our text. The betrayer, the one who was working against God. And Jesus stoops and washes his feet. 
But not just Judas. Let's not just put it all on him. He washes Peter's feet, too. You know, Peter. The guy who that night will deny him three times. Whack off the servant's ear with the sword. Take matters into his own hand, Peter. You know, if you put the label betrayer on Judas, you have to put the label denier on Peter. And Jesus washes his feet as well. James and John, the scriptures tell us in other uh, gospel accounts that they were just done arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom, put arrogant on their label. What about Thomas? Put doubter. What about all the disciples? It tells us in Mark's account, all the disciples were disputing among themselves. What do you want to put there? Contentious. And that's the group for whom Jesus wants to show the full extent of his love. Love completely. Love beyond all measure. So when I think, if I'm in that group that says, God can't love me because of who I am. You know, I know my heart. I know what's in there. and You know, I know the kind of person I am. I know my sin. God can't love me. This example of the Lord Jesus is for us to know that no matter what our sin, no matter how deeply we think we have grieved God, Jesus is pleading for us and interceding for us and stoops in humility to wash our feet and to love us and to accept us. That's love to the full. That is complete love. The second group of people that I said we were going to talk about is the people who can begin to understand the love of God, although I don't think any of us can fully understand it. And the Apostle Peter is our test case for those guys. You know, that's us. Uh, Watch what the Apostle Peter does. I love to compare verse 6 with verse 8. Verse 6, the Apostle Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you'll understand a little bit later. And Peter says, and I quote, no, no. Now, get this straight. In verse 8, he says no. And in verse 6, he just called Jesus Lord. Lord, the term used for God. Such a great degree of respect and obedience, way beyond boss, way beyond master. It is the term of reverence that this man gives to Jesus. And then, the next breath, he tells this Lord, no. you got to love Peter. He's a lot like you and me. He does it again, by the way, in Acts when God tells him to go to Cornelius and tells him to eat of the unclean foods, you remember that? His words, exact words were, no, Lord. No, Lord. Now here's Peter. He's walked with Jesus for three and a half years. He's coming right down to the end. He's the energetic, you know, sword-carrying guy. 
Uh, He wants to do the right thing for Jesus. I think he comes as close as any of us to understanding the extent of Jesus' love because Peter's been forgiven by Jesus more than any that we have recorded in the gospel accounts. He was a contrary kind of guy, often contradicting the Lord, often thinking he was the exception. But I believe understanding the love of God. And his words, if I can sum it up, especially vivid when he says, okay then, if you're going to wash my feet, you might as well go ahead and do my head and my hands. His words can be summarized this way. This is our spirit and our attitude for those of us who begin to understand the love of God. We say, okay then, Lord, do it my way. Do it my way. We call him Lord, but we put the limits on it. It's got to be my way. We say, no to him when he tells us certain things. We tell him, then do it this way. Wash my head and my feet. The danger of, for us is to want God to be made in our image. To do it our way. So to summarize these first 11 verses... Jesus is showing us love no matter how great our sin is. And Jesus is telling us he's going to do it his way. And that's love too. Now I want you to do something that Bible teachers hardly ever tell you to do. I want you to not look at the text because I'm going to read a few more verses, but I want you to, again, be in that place where you say, I'm hearing this for the first time. So please, don't look ahead. Don't read your Bible. Don't just kind of maybe stare at the ceiling or something. I don't know. Stare at the German flag. There you go. We'll have that. Listen to these words as the story, the true story in history continues. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Listen. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Okay, suppose, stop right there. Suppose you had never heard this story before. How would you finish that sentence? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, fill in the blank. What would you say? When I did premarital counseling for people in the church that I pastored in New York before we went to the mission field, I used to read this passage of scripture to them. Because it's talking about love and because marriage is about love, I thought it was important that I read them a passage of scripture that was about love. And so I would get to that point when this was in the conversations that I'd have with uh, the husband or wife, prospective husband or wife, by themselves. And I would say, how will you fill in that blank? What is your way? And I was privileged to have two people in my years of doing that 
that had never heard that passage before, never remembered hearing that passage before. And I want to tell you how they filled in the blanks, okay? One of them was Don, and Don was brilliant. There is no other way to describe it. He was a PhD in pharmaceutical chemistry, and his job was to work for the South Carolina Poison Control Center. And so if you had some uh, problem, you called, and he was on the hotline, and he told you what to do, and he was just brilliant. Uh, when you talk to him, he used so many big words that your eyes would kind of glaze over and you'd wonder what he's talking about. He was just, he knew everything. Uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant person. He'd grown up in a Christian home that didn't attend church very much. And he admitted to me he didn't know many of the Bible stories. And he had started coming back to church. And when he and Amy were sure that they wanted to get married, he, you know, sat with me and we were you know, going through this, and I asked him, how would you finish this sentence? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and he said, listen to this, he said, Jesus would have said, listen, I've got something important to tell you. Doesn't that make sense? Here Jesus is setting an example for them. He's showing them love to the most, to the fullest extent possible. Jesus has done this thing to catch their attention, to draw them into this moment, a teachable moment where he can now teach them and say something that would forever impact their lives. And so he's done a visual, as teachers say, so that at that moment he can now impact them with what he's about to say. And I think that makes sense. Don was on the right track. This is an important moment for us to understand something that Jesus wants to say. But that's not what the text says. Jesus doesn't say that. So now I just have to tell you about Kenny. I, I love Ken. Uh, he and Renee were high school sweethearts. Uh, it was a good thing for Ken, too. Ken was from the Bronx and had moved out to our little church in suburban uh, New York. And uh, he said that if he hadn't had Renee as a girlfriend, he never would have passed any of his classes because he cheated off her when he was in high school. And so uh, I won't say he wasn't intelligent. He just never applied himself to school. Uh, he was doing great running a business, and, and, uh, but he was just earthy. That's my best word for Kenny. He was earthy. Uh, he was real. He was about, oh, he's in his mid-20s, and he went off to an Amway conference and found the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you believe it? You know, wonders never cease. The grace of God is everywhere, if he can be at an Amway conference. Anyway, that when he went to the Amway conference, they told him that now that he was a believer, he had to start tithing, and that he should go to a Bible-based church, and he couldn't remember what kind of church they said, but he knew it had the word Bible in it. So he looked in the phone book until he found a Bible church, and he came to our church to start tithing. He, show, <laughs> he showed up. I told, he called me and asked me what time church is, and I told him we had services at 11 and 7. Well, he showed up at 7 a.m., because he was anxious to do what God had told him to do, and that's the way Kenny was. Every time he understood something from Scripture, he wanted to put it into practice. He was a joy to disciple. He still loves God. He's still that kind of on-fire person. God uses everybody. So I get Kenny in the room. We're alone. I mean, Kenny had never seen an opened Bible until he became a believer. So Kenny has never heard this story. 
And I read him through this and tell him about what washing feet means. And Kenny's from the Bronx, and he's listening, and he's paying attention. And excuse me if anybody's from the Bronx, I love your accent. (laughs) And Kenny's leaning forward on his chair. And I say, how would Jesus finish this sentence? Listen. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, and he spit it right out. He said, now you suckers wash my feet. (laughs) I can't honestly picture Jesus quite like that. But you know what? Kenny was right. That makes perfect sense. If the Lord of the universe, if the Lord of the universe humbled himself, came down in flesh, was going to die on the cross for me, and he just goes from person to person washing our feet, wouldn't it make perfect sense for him to say, now worship me, do something wonderful for me, because I am your Lord and teacher. I'm the one in this room who deserves it. Wouldn't it make sense for 12 people to be asked to wash his feet? That's a beautiful response. It shows that he understands Jesus. But it's not what the text says. What did Jesus want from us? Listen to this, and now you can look down at your Bible. I'm in verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. So catch this. Jesus is showing love to the fullest. And when he does that, he says, now that I have shown you by a physical demonstration, what it means to love one another to the fullest. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have done that, you also need to wash one another's feet. Now there's some churches that actually take that literally and say, we're going to have a service, you sit down, I'll wash your feet. I think that's great. But I've... I've never been a part of that kind of church because I think it means something more as well. I think to wash one another's feet means to love completely and fully and not just by a visible demonstration or an act. And so, if you've offended me, I need to forgive you. If you see things a little differently than I do, I need to accept you. If you're a betrayer, or I'm a betrayer, if you're a doubter, or I'm a doubter, if you're arguing about who's the best, and I'm arguing about who's the best, no matter what my sin is, Jesus is showing us love to the fullest. And so he tells us, listen to how he finishes this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if, if you do them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to apply this to my life, to our lives that we may be more like Jesus. I pray in his name, the name of our Lord, our Savior, the one who humbled himself to be our servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who loves us. Amen.